Let us turn in God's word this evening to the book of Deuteronomy, reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then jumping on to verses 22 through 29. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and then 22 to 29. Let us hear God's word. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. For the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And then follows the second record that we have in Scripture of the Ten Commandments, and we take up The reading in verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out Of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. The Lord bless this reading of his holy word. Dear gracious God, we come unto thee thankful, Lord, that thou hast provided this precious book, the perfect word, and we hear from Dr. Trumper tonight as he explains this portion of your word to us, and we pray that these words will enter into our hearts and minds and that we may apply these to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, let us turn this evening to the uh, fifth verse of the fifth chapter of the fifth book, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 5, to what is, I believe, one of the most clear statements of the gospel in the Old Testament and one from which we can greatly profit tonight as we consider this verse under the heading, the gospel according to Moses. Moses recalls, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. Pastor Bob asked me to step in tonight. uh, I wondered in this whole veritable library of 66 books what to speak on. And in praying through this, three thoughts came to my mind. First, a global thought, having just returned from Pakistan, a country of 212 million people, 97% of which belong to a religion which believe that we Christians have altered the Bible. I thought it might be good for us this evening to be reminded that we have one book and one gospel. And then an historical thought came to me, and that is that we are closing out this season of the year when we remember the Reformation and its formal start 502 years ago. Pastor Bob spoke about that last Sunday night. Thought, though, that it might be useful for us to come back to the gospel only from an Old Testament text to demonstrate that there is one Bible, one gospel, and to remind us that the idea of the solas of the Reformation, sola scriptura, solus Christus, sola gratia, sola fide, soli deo gloria, not the inventions of the reformers, they're not even the inventions of the apostles, but they are found in inspired form even under the old covenant. And then the third thought that brought me to this text tonight is the pastoral concern. We are called in Scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we're also called to weep with those who weep. And I can only say that for myself, the older I get and the closer to the moment of truth when we leave this scene to go and face God, how important it is, not only for unbelievers to understand the gospel, but for us who are believers to appropriate the gospel more and more and to enter into the courage, the boldness, the certainty that the gospel ought to give us for that time, that moment of truth, when we close our eyes for the last time and we stand before God. And so we come to this text tonight. I want to say something about its context. First of all, something about the historical nature of the context. It will be familiar to you. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19, you will know that it took three months for God's people to make their way from Egypt, the land of Goshen in particular, to Horeb and Mount Sinai in particular. And then if you come into the book of Deuteronomy in the first two verses, you notice a very significant detail. 
and that is that from Mount Sinai or Horeb, it should have taken only 11 days for God's people to make their way from the mount to Kadesh Barnea on the borders of the Promised Land. So that's under 14 weeks to make the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But here they are, 40 years later, and they are still in the desert. The reason for that is well known to us. Going back to Numbers 13 and 14, the 12 spies were sent into the Promised Land. And in good Presbyterian fashion, they came back with a majority report and minority report. They weren't unified. They were unified on the fact that there were giants in the land. They were unified upon the fact that the land was flowing with milk and honey. But they were divided on this, whether they were able to go up and overcome, conquer the land, take possession of the land. And so the 10 unbelieving spies, they say, well, no, we're not, we're not able to do it. We're not able to do it. The pluses of the land, they're not worth it. We can't do it. And then come forth the men of faith, Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb says, we are well able to overcome. But because of the unbelief of God's people, they wandered around the desert for 40 years, literally dying off, so that all those 20 years of age and upwards died in the wilderness. And so here they are, by the time we get to the book of Deuteronomy, 40 years later, still yet to enter the promised land. That's the historical context. And then there's the uh, personal context of Moses himself. For God is no respecter of persons, and Moses was leading a people of about two million strong, and he lost his temper with the people. They were grumbling once more for water. And God said to Moses, speak to the rock, and out of the rock will come the water. The people will have their thirst satisfied, and on you go. But Moses struck the rock, not once, but twice. And he says, how long must I bear with you rebels? God, a covenant-keeping God, was bearing with them. But Moses was not prepared to bear with them any longer. And so God said, because you disobeyed my voice, Moses, you will see the land from afar, but you won't enter the land. So by the time then that we come into the book of Deuteronomy, we are coming to the final words of Moses. They are significant words. In fact, the first word of the book of Deuteronomy is devarim, which means words. Every book is words. But this is a book about words, Moses' historical lessons, Moses' uh, theological lessons, as he prepares the people to go on ahead of him. And then as you skip forward to Deuteronomy 34, you find that Moses takes a one-way journey up Mount Nebo in the land of Moab. He sees the land from afar, but there he dies, and he is buried by the Lord and he does not enter the land. So we are dealing here with highly significant words, the last words of Moses, which brings us on then to the theological context. What is he trying to accomplish? Well, he's trying to reintroduce the people of God after 40 years and a new generation arising. He's trying to reintroduce them to the covenant. They are now freed from Egypt, 
They have now traveled through the wilderness. They are now about to enter the promised land. And Moses says, before this critical juncture in the history of the children of Israel, you need to renew your vows before the Lord. You need to remember what happened in the wilderness. And now as you enter into the promised land, you need to commit afresh to God. Hence the name Deuteronomy. It's Greek. Deuteros nomos. Second law. A repetition. A renewal of the covenant. And in that renewal of the covenant, we find this marvelous statement in Deuteronomy 5.5 of the gospel. And I can only rejoice tonight at the truths of the gospel found here in this passage. Three things to note then. First of all, Moses reminds them as he looks back down the corridor of 40 years that the people of God had the fear of the Lord in their hearts. Notice how verse 5 ends. You were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. Now, there's two things we can say about that fear that possessed the hearts of God's people 40 years earlier. First of all, we want to say that it was a very reasonable fear. They had every reason to fear God. You see, God had brought them out with mighty plagues, resulting or culminating in the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And they come all the way then three months to Mount Sinai. And as they stand there before Mount Sinai, the mountain begins to quake. There's thunder, there's dark cloud, there's a trumpet sound, and then the voice of the Lord comes forth. And they were very fearful of God there in that place. And it wasn't simply the children of Israel who were fearful of God there in that place. It was Moses himself. And if you turn over then to Hebrews chapter 12, we find that the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us something of the experience there of Moses. Verse 18, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What is going on? Why is God revealing himself in such ways to his people? Well, you see, sometimes we think, well, the gospel is just for those outside of Christ. But God is revealing himself here to those whom he has already redeemed from Egypt. And no sooner are they redeemed from Egypt that God, in a very real sense, has matriculated them in his school so that they now begin to learn about the attributes of God and who this God really is, his glory and his greatness. And so they had every reason to be afraid. And so it was a reasonable fear, but the second thing we want to say about it, it was a responsive fear. God had called his people to the foot of the mountain. He's saying to them, in effect, you are my people. I desire to fellowship with you. 
but you need to understand that you fellowship with me on the terms of my own character and my own attributes. And so although you are called to draw near to the foot of the mountain, I have news for you. You need to stand at the foot of the mountain. And if so much as a beast breaks through, starts climbing the mountain, it would be thrust through with a spear. What was God saying? God was teaching his people as we need to be taught that we cannot simply saunter into relationship with God. We cannot simply saunter into worship. This is why in the Reformed tradition, we have a call to worship. We encourage people to prepare their minds and hearts for coming to worship. God calls us to draw near to him. And yet, even now that the church has come of age, we are to stand so far off. And when we are walking with the Lord at our most closest, we feel this tension. Well, what is the tension? Well, God calls me to draw near to him. And yet he tells me to stand so far off because he is God and I am not. So they obeyed. They did not go up the mount. What was Moses in communicating what was happening to the children of Israel, teaching them? Was he saying to them, well, you see, you need to go back to the slavish fear that you had in Egypt? No, not at all. If you go to the book of Exodus and the first account of the giving of the law there, you find a very important statement where Moses, having received the Ten Commandments, says to the children of Israel, do not fear that the fear of God may be before your eyes. Well, you say, well, Moses, that's double speak. Don't fear that you may fear. Well, what is going on there is a differentiation between the slavish fear of somebody who sees God as a judge and has yet to come to the hope of the gospel and the fear of the child of God who no longer has a slavish fear of God or should not because God has met with them in grace. But having met with them in grace, he wants them now, he wants us now, he wants me now to have this reverential awe of God, not dread, but reverence. And when we have that reverence of God, we find that it shapes our whole life as we give our lives back to God in worship and of service of God. Well, you say, well, this was just the Old Testament. God is, he's all love now. I think we make a mistake. Let me explain it this way. Yes, under the old covenant, there was the thunder, there was the lightning, there was the shaking of the mountain, there was the trumpet sound, there was the voice that came forth. Because God was meeting with his people as underage. But we make a mistake in thinking that because the church has now come of age, that God is different than that. God is not different than that. His mode of communicating with his people has changed, but he himself has not changed. And hence you find there at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, our God is a consuming fire. Not was a consuming fire, but is a consuming fire. 
So it is right for us as the people of God, having put off, we trust, that slavish fear that pertains to those who are outside of the security of Christ, nevertheless now to have a different sort of fear, a reverential awe of God, which says at the outset of the day, I am living quorum Deum, I am living in the presence of God, and therefore, I need to revere the God before whom I live. It's the Lord's day tomorrow. I am coming to worship God, and therefore I revere him. So we are neither complacent on the one hand, nor we possess by slavish fear on the other. Secondly then, these people had Moses in their sights. This beautiful sentence at the beginning of verse 5. I stood between the Lord and you at that time. You have to go back to Exodus 3 and to remember how Moses was called to be a mediator all those years earlier. And he tells us, in effect, that it was his role by the call of God to represent God's people before God, and to represent God before his people. And you find this uh, in numerous instances within the scriptures as to how he stood between God and his people so that they were not destroyed. Go, if you will, to Psalm 106, verse 23. Therefore, God said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Now, Moses points to himself in the role that he has. But we know from the whole scope of Scripture that he is pointing beyond himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is doing so in two ways. First of all, when he refers here in verse 5 to standing between the Lord and the people, it's a marvelous truth of the gospel that although God has not changed, although his mode of communicating with us has changed, the security with which we live before God, the security with which we can approach God in prayer. We can approach God in worship. We can approach God, even in the moment of death, has massively increased. That is what the author of Hebrews is trying to say in Hebrews 12. God is the same. He is a consuming fire. But the beauty of the gospel is this, that we don't set our eyes upon Moses, we set our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the greater Moses. Well, how is he greater? Well, for one thing, he is not standing. Remember what the New Testament says. Hebrews 10 verse 12. That having offered up himself, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What's the difference between standing and sitting? Well, Moses stands before God because his work is not accomplished. Christ 
sits at the right hand of the Father. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so when we read the words here, then Moses, I stood between the Lord and you at that time. Our mind goes beyond Moses. It goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, not simply because Jesus Christ was a mediator, the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, but because this mediator, this greater Moses, actually shed his blood. And having shed his blood once for all, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The second way in which Moses points beyond himself is in his statement at that time. Oh, there was this time, that time. Moses went up the mountain, came back down the mountain. Went back up the mountain, came back down the mountain. But he's pointing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit beyond himself to the greater Moses. And he's saying, listen, your security is found in this. It's found in the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to come. And the beauty of Christ is this. Not only has he died once and for all for your sins upon the cross. Speaking to the people of God. He has appeared before God once and for all. Ever living to make intercession for God's people. Isn't that why the author of Hebrews then makes the contrast between the experience of God's people under the old covenant, the experience of God's people under the new covenant. It's not that God has changed. It's that now we have the fullness of the revelation of the mediator, Jesus Christ, who not only stands before God in relation to, to man, representing God in his divinity before man, and representing man in his humani humanity before God, but having died once and for all upon the cross for our sins, he now ever lives to make intercession for God's people. Not at that time, this time, the other time, that time as well, but all the time. And so the author of Hebrews says we have this wonderful, wonderful, better covenant sealed with the blood of the Lord Jesus. But there's something here that we can learn Verses 23 through 26. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and the elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lived. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. We shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still live? Do you see, this is their tension. If God is as he reveals himself to be, then how can we live before him? How can we approach him? How can we fellowship with him? How can we have relationship with him? Moses says, within this Old Testament prefigurement of the gospel, keep your eyes on me. I stood between the Lord and you at that time. And this, dear brother and sister, is our confidence, is it not? 
and why we ought to make more and more of Christ the longer we are in the faith. Because we have one in the heavens who has taken his humanity to the pinnacle of the universe. And there, having suffered and bled and died in our place, and accomplished a full and a free atonement for us. He now ever lives to make intercession for us. I believe it's Calvin in one place when reflecting upon the intercession of Christ on behalf of his people, asks the question whether Christ actually, literally prays to the Father on behalf of his people. Or is it more akin to the Father beholding the Son, knowing all that the Son has done for His people, as if there's, if I may put it reverently, like a wink and a nod between the two, and the Father says, Son, I know, I know, I know. And because there is no sin within the Son, there is not a chance that the Father will not hear the Son as he prays according to the will of the triune God on behalf of the people of God. And so we need to have that appreciation for the mediator as the children of Israel learned through this experience to have appreciation for Moses. You go near. You hear all that he has to say. And we will do it. We will do it. You see, their, their thankfulness, their adoration, their gratitude is not a mere lip service. It is born out of the experience of being matriculated in the school of God to understand the greatness of God. We have seen his glory. We have seen his greatness. How can we dare to approach this God? Well, this is the way we dare to approach this God. Because Moses, you have been given to us by this God so that we can come to approach you, approach God through you. And so it is for the believer tonight. When we process our own worship, when we process our own mortality, when we process what it is like at that moment of truth to leave this scene, and to go into the presence of God. Where is our view? Who's in our sights? You know, we hear too much sometimes. I say this sensitively, but we hear too much sometimes from believers. Well, I'm going to die and going to be with my loved ones. Yes, that's true if they are in Christ. But the massive hope and confidence of the believer is that this greater Moses is going to be in our sights. And that was what was so important about what Pastor Bob was saying this morning. Face to face with the Savior. Face to face with the Savior. He is our confidence. He is our joy. And so thirdly then, the word of the Lord in their hearing, the middle part of verse 5, I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. 
for you're afraid of the fire and you did not go up the mount. Moses is not only functioning as a mediator, he's also functioning as a prophet. Indeed, when he dies in Deuteronomy 34, we have this epitaph to Moses that no one knew the Lord face to face like Moses. And so what was Moses doing as he was up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain? First of all, he was declaring the privileges of the gospel. He came down from the mountain. What did he come with? He came with the pattern of the tabernacle, a picture book of how God's people could approach this God. He came down from the mountain with the pattern of the sacrificial system, again pointing to the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And then he came down also with the responsibilities of the gospel, the Ten Commandments, which are given not simply for the unbeliever, but for the believer to structure our freedom in Christ. And so if the children of Israel then responded to Moses this way, how much more ought we to respond to Christ, the greater Moses? I want to say this of the Lord Jesus Christ that he not only teaches, but he is the teaching. He looked at the scriptures, his Hebrew scriptures, and he says to them, John 5, 39, these are they which speak of me. And so what is it about the Christian then? Is it simply that we have our eyes set upon Christ and then we go and live as we like? No, says this verse. This verse says that the person who is genuinely in Christ, this is a challenge to me as much as it is to you, is the person who says, you go near. You hear all that God has to say. And whatever he says, we will hear it. We will do it. Well, God teaches us. How does he teach us? Well, he teaches us externally by the word. And he teaches us internally by the Spirit. So these then, brothers and sisters tonight, the three elements of the gospel found throughout the scriptures. The fear of the Lord in our hearts. Moses in our sights, the greater Moses. And the word of the Lord in our hearing. So let me say tonight, as we close, that the more we make of Christ, the more we diminish dread, and the more we increase our joy. Isn't this the point that the author of Hebrews is making there in Hebrews 12? Listen to the words with which we began as our call to worship tonight. We have not come to Mount Sinai. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You say, how can I envision rejoicing with God when God is like this? How can I envision 
going to God's nearer presence in heaven when God is like this. And what the author of Hebrews does in basically telling us the remainder of the story based upon what we already have in the Pentateuch there is that it is the shed blood and the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ which make all the difference. All the difference. So that what do we read there? We have not come to Mount Sinai which burns with fire, where even the mediator Moses was trembling and shaking. But what do we do? We come first in life and then in death to the city of the great God, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to a myriad of angels, listen, in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the judge of all, and to the spirits the righteous made perfect. That is why my hope for myself, my hope for you, my hope for those who are mourning, and we've heard something of it today, is that when we reflect upon that moment of our own passing, or when we reflect upon that moment of the passing of a loved one, when they close their eyes for the last time, and they leave this scene, that if they are in Christ, they have joined the festal gathering, a place of great joy, a place of great anticipation, waiting for the redemption of their bodies. A place in which they get to experience the love of God, from which they can never be separated. Oh, they leave behind this earthly scene. We'll leave behind this earthly scene. One day there's going to go an email out saying, we too have passed away. And we will be translated from this scene, whatever that scene may be, to that scene. And what is the one point of continuity between the two scenes? It is the love of God which carries us over from one to the other. And so my prayer for us this evening is that more and more we would enter into the joy of the gospel because that's our strength. My mind goes back to a dear friend, Rich Bechtel, who died just before I came to Grand Rapids, and he died of pancreatic cancer. And as he was laying there in his bed, he was almost talking to friends of his who had died 10, 20, 30 years before. But he kept saying to them, I'm coming to the party. I'm coming to the party. And I think that's the spirit that we have in Hebrews 12. God is unchanged. But it's this God who is so great, so holy, so majestic, so glorious, who has provided this mediator, Jesus Christ, in whom is our security and our joy. Brothers and sisters, we can never make too much of Christ. And so I say to those, any here tonight, outside of Christ, there's no going to that festal gathering without first going to the cross of Christ. And my prayer for you is that you would do that 
even this moment. I cannot begin to imagine. And I think this ought to drive our evangelism. It ought to drive our outreach committee. It ought to drive our church. In terms of connecting with our community. I cannot begin to imagine what it is like to appear before God without a mediator. It's not about filling the pews. That's nice. It's about God filling heaven with his people. May he make it so. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge that we are not sufficient to describe what is going on in your word. But we pray that you would take hold of your word and apply it as you will by your omnipotent and omniscient spirit. Father, we thank you that so many of us have lost loved ones. And they are part of that festal gathering. We thank you for the assurance that that is case. Father, we pray for any here tonight who do not know you. Father, meet with them, we pray. Give them no rest until they find rest in the blessed mediator, even Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.